What's up, everybody, and welcome to Space Arena Ground Arena, where we cover Star Wars Unlimited from the ground up into space. I'm Banana Crapshoot. I am one of your hosts. Um, a lot of stuff to cover today, real quick. With me tonight, uh, as usual, Mr. Ben and Dan. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. There's um, so many cards to talk about. Yeah. So real quick, before we, we jump into gov- going over some of the cards, um, just real quick, what have you guys been playing the last week or two since we recorded last? Ben? Well... I uh, have been playing jujitsu. Actually, uh, I had a tournament uh, at the end of this this last month, and that took basically all my focus. And then, kind of recovering from the injuries that a forty two year old deserves when he goes and tries to do jujitsu against guys half his age has been kind of my focus since then. Uh, I've been looking at a lot of the things that came out of Gen Con, but I've not been playing as many games as I generally would have. What about you, Dan? There. Uh, you can't see it behind me, but this is like our spare office bedroom home gym, and all over that bed is dumped Gen Con stuff. So I've been playing too much stuff from Gen Con. Um, we've been playing a lot of Expeditions, which is the Scythe sequel by Stonemaier Games. Um, a little bit of One Piece, and then I did I did manage to get a box of Lorcana. So we played a little bit of that, because um, some of my friends are really into Disney. And it's been fun, but um, it hasn't been Star Wars Unlimited fun. <laughs> I was supposed to play when you were talking about Lorcana, but... Um... Oh, I figured that's what it was for. <laughs> yeah. So do we want to look at cards first, or do we want to grill Dan on his uh, Gen Con experience? What do you guys want I feel we got, like we got to start with Gen Con, man. Let's do it. Like, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So... How'd you do in your, I know last time we talked, you talked about having, um, you were playing in some one piece events. So how'd you do in those? I had two one piece events. The first one I scrubbed out pretty hard. So then I, uh, left it to go to the vendor hall and buy things. Right. So, you know, retail therapy, buy some card games and stuff. And, uh, the second one I did pretty good. I went like six and three. So you had to go, some people that went six and three, like bubbled up into the top 32. Um, but I was not one of those people. My, my opponents did as poorly as me. So they were all very friendly though. I don't have it here, but I had them all sign my like game mat. So it was like a yearbook. So everyone I played a game with at Gen Con, I had signed my play mat and I have like 38 signatures or something. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, did respectable enough, but also good enough that I got to leave and go to my other events without having to skip them. Um, I don't know if I would sign up for a big tournament at Gen Con again. It was fun, but like the One Piece tournament was supposed to start. I think it was ticketed for like 9 a.m. And the first round started at 11.15. So I was like, <laughs> I have another thing at three o'clock because they said it was a six hour event. And I knew it wasn't going to be six. It was going to be like seven hours, but I didn't expect it to start two and a half hours late. <laughs> it was a little frustrating. Um, so was that it was like unfortunate. A, just do you know like what the late start issue was? Was it like they were having issues with like software for pairings or what? I don't want to like dump on the One Piece community, but maybe I will as a dark side player. Um, a lot of people showed up really late, 
right? Like the the sign-ins, they at some point announced like the, the player meeting was going to be at nine and the sign-ins were by 10. And people were rolling into Lucas Oil Stadium at like 10, 15 and getting upset that they were going to get around one loss, which I totally get, right? If, uh, if the tournament didn't start for another hour, why do you get around one loss? But also there was a line of 150 people yet to register. So that it was just people showing up late, people adding because like the event sold out, but then people don't show up and they take add-ons and things like that. And it was a bit unfortunate. I've never been to one that ran that late before, um, which was wild to me. Yeah, that's a lot of people, egregious. Like a lot of people got their participation stuff and we were playing like pickup games. And they were like, I'm just going to leave. I got my, my participation promo. I'm not going to wait here nine hours. Um, and that's no fun, right? I don't want to waste a whole day of Gen Con waiting for a tournament to start. Right. So I Did... left eventually and played Unlimited. Okay, so we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, did you see the Lorcana line that was the notorious line that was all I over did. Twitter? My, uh, How was my that? First, my first Star Wars Unlimited demo, you could almost see the Lorcana. You could smell the Lorcana line from it. You could almost see it. You had to walk by it to get there. And uh, my wife was with me on the first day. There was a bunch of extended family drama, and she didn't get to stay all four days. But... She got to go for the first day and we were doing our Star Wars Unlimited demo. We were walking to it and she was like, what is that the line for? And I'm like, there's this Disney card game that people are really excited about. And those people are in line for that. Um, And she was like, you're going to try to buy that, aren't you? And I'm like, not if I have to stand in that line. Because like the hall doesn't open till 10. And usually there's like a big mob at the hall and it's like chaos. But they had like a, a snaked line around the entire convention center. And, uh, I wasn't in the line, but I played in a Dominion tournament later, and one of my opponents was in that line. They were, like, third in the line. And uh, they said, yeah, the Gen Con staff person in Ravensburger said, we're going to open the line. You're going to get to go in single file and, like, get into the booth in the order you were waiting in this line. And then when 9.59 hit, the Gen Con staff person showed up and just, like, ripped down the ticker tape, and he was like, go wild! And people, like, stampeded over each other. It was insane. so they sold a bunch of boxes and then like people were literally getting trampled. Like I know one guy was in like a boot and he got like shoved into another game, like company's booth and like knocked it down. So they like closed down sales for a while and they're like, we're going to figure out our lives and be better. Um, so in the afternoon, right after my wife had had to leave, I was in line, not in line at Lorcana, but I was like window shopping and like they have one of those glass display cases and you can go look at the cards. And I was like, oh, these look cool. I'll go look at them and take some pictures. And then they like reopened a new line when I was standing like directly next to the booth. And I was like, are you guys like selling stuff right now? And they were like, yeah, we decided we're going to like reopen it quietly and just see how things go. So I became like fourth in line for the the second opening. And I was like, well, I guess the the duel of fates was playing in my head and the chance key rolled to the right side. So I, I decided I may as well buy a box and try it. So I did get my Lorcana without waiting in line. I feel like a real schmooze because all these other people got trampled and, you know, had to wait. They For the second day, because they only sold so many boxes a day, they did like an announcement that got texted to like everybody in their group that they were going to start the line at 6 p.m. on Thursday for when the hall opened at 10 a.m. on Friday. And you just had to like wait in line overnight. So that second day was my big one-piece tournament and I 
it was in Lucas Oil Stadium. So there's like the convention center and Lucas Oil Stadium and a big long walkway between it. And as I'm walking through the convention center, I see the Lorcana line wrap outside the building and it legit went like halfway across Lucas Oil Stadium, like a building away. And I was just like, these people are really excited for their Mickey Mouse. And that's cool <laughs> for them. Like, I hope I talked to a few FFG people and I said, did you take some notes on what not to do? Did you, did you learn some things this year? I hope you did, because I don't want to do that next year. Um, in fact, I will not be. I'll be lucking out and just window shopping until they open a second time. Knock on wood. I uh, I did see like some tweets of people that were there, and they did say like there was people like in wheelchairs and stuff that like had gotten knocked over, like the wheelchair fell over during was... like the rush, which is unfortunate that you know. Stuff like it that. It was happened. pure chaos. The last time I went to like an FFG launch event at Gen Con was the it was either the Game of Thrones second edition or like they had that Warhammer Conquest LCG. And for that, they only had like 500 core sets they were going to sell. But by buying a ticket for like the launch tournament, you could go turn your ticket in at the booth and they gave you a core set. So like your spot was reserved. You didn't have to wait in some ridiculous line and cause a mob. So I. I would hope if something like this launches at a big convention like Gen Con, they would just sell tickets ahead of time. This ticket is worth one booster box. Don't create chaos like what happened last year. Um, because it was it was the most insane I'd ever seen it. And Gen Con gets pretty crazy. What other games besides Star Wars Unlimited did you like try or demo? Yeah, I demoed Ashes. There's a cool tile placing dueling game called Tiger and Dragon, where it's like a it's based off of like a Japanese tile placing game. Um, but we bought a copy of that because that was pretty fun. Uh, my son went to his first Gen Con on Saturday, so we did a lot of stuff. There's this group called like the Motley Kids Crew, and they host a bunch of kid events. So he did like a my first RPG session and he built oh, cool. like a LARPing shield and he went to like the Pokemon tent and we played in a learn to play and I didn't have the heart to tell the person teaching us that he already knew how to play. We just suffered through it. And they like, they teach you the game without card text at first. And then he kept being like, this is boring. And I was like, yeah, I know they'll, they'll get there, but we have to suffer through the first round. And then they teach us, Oh, all these words mean something. So he, he got through it and survived. Um, he got to meet a blippy cosplayer and he thinks it's the real blippy. So I'm not going to correct him at this point in life. Um, that was a big deal, meeting a YouTube star that is not his dad on the Saga podcast, right? Um, so he ran up to that cosplayer and hugged them. He did not ask consent, even though I told him to, but the cosplayer was ready for it because small children, if you dress like a small children's YouTube star, you probably know what's going to happen when you walk by a child. They're just going to swarm you. Um, I did an Avatar RPG session. That was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Um, like Airbender, like Airbender Avatar. Okay, yeah, good. yeah. There's a new RPG made Sorry by Magpie Games. It was a Kickstarter last year, and you pick like a, you pick a class like um, the Rogue or the Pillar or the Guardian or whatever, and then you pick like a Airbending type or weapons or technology. So we had to make like pre-generated pick from pre-generated characters and pick a couple skills and then you went through some mission um but yeah i did i did events the whole time all all four days um probably too many events i should not schedule myself as tightly as i did next time but it was fun 
So Star Wars Unlimited. I played a lot of Star Wars Unlimited. How Maybe was that? too much. It How was, was good. That? Give us all the details. So our first event was the 9 a.m. event on Thursday, which was the very first event they had. So we got there. There was no line. Um, so they started teaching me the game, and I didn't have the heart to tell them that I had like read all the rules already. So I was just letting their volunteer teach us. And they taught us a few rules wrong. So it was good that we went first because we were able to explain that that's not a real rule. You're playing wrong. You don't want to teach a thousand people the game wrong. Um, they had taught things like you have to resource a card. So I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a pivotal decision point when you stop resourcing them and you take card advantage. And then they went over and got their little guidebook and they were like, oh, it does say May. You're right. And I was like, ah, yeah, just intuition. Totally. Um, but it was good. So my wife and I got to play three games at the nine o'clock session. Darth Vader won all three games. Um, soundly, they weren't full 50 card decks. They were like 28 to 30 card decks. So it was really easy to deck out. We had a game deck out because we were just killing units instead of attacking base. Um, and that was unfortunate because it's not fun to like deck out when you don't have a full deck, but you have full life on your base. Right. Um, and there's a lot of one-of cards in those demo decks. There's like a one-of C-3PO and R2-D2 and a bunch of cards we'll look through later today. So like if you start with those cards, then you feel really good. But if you don't start with those cards and they're on the bottom of your deck, then you're just like generic soldier over and over again. But you got like the game mechanics going, which was really cool. They had the game genic token set for you to play with while you did it. And then on the way out, you got two promos. Um, so we demoed, I demoed once then, and then I demoed later in the day with Terrence from, uh, he's like a guest on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel. Um, and in that round, Darth Vader also won two times. So got a good record of 5-0 and for Darth Vader at our table so far. But the second game, I played Luke, and I got Vader to 29. So if I was better at math, I probably would have gotten him to 30 somewhere. Um, and then the third demo I did... Um, I didn't have an event after that, so I just, like, lingered and played for, like, two hours with, like, random strangers continuously. And it was more 50-50 at that point. I had learned how to pilot the Luke deck well enough that it could overcome Vader's oppressive nature sometimes. Um, but it was good. It was fun. It was exciting to see a lot of people there. Um, it wasn't the craziness of the Lorcana line. The, the 9 a.m. slot on Thursday was actually pretty empty. There were, like, four people playing games. But uh, if you went back, like I tried to take my son on Saturday because they had like events every hour and it was ticketed. But if they had an empty table, they would let you in. But they didn't have room for people to jump in or they if you, if you weren't there right away, they wouldn't let you jump in later because they were like, we're sold out every hour. Like if everybody shows up, we're going to we'd have to kick you out in five minutes. So we can't just let you in. Um, so he didn't get to demo it, unfortunately, but that was probably better for his day because he was getting pretty tired. Um, but yeah, I think I probably played like 15 to 16 games with the demo decks, and they were pretty fun. They had demo written right across them, so you you knew that they weren't the final copies. They they did warn us that like the cards you're playing with might not even be the cards in the set. Like we these might be old versions, but the promos they gave out, the Luke and Darth Vader leader that we've seen spoiled, those are the final versions. That will be the card that's printed, but some promo art form of it. Um, so that was cool that they they were that far in so going yeah. into gen con you you knew the rules right yep we've, we've gone over the quick start rules 
what did you think of how the game actually played actually playing it like with people yeah i think the the action sequencing feels really good um we did have a couple games where we had the feeling we talked about where if one player runs out of actions early and has to pass and the other player has like 10 things to do it can feel really snowbally for that second player which was a bit of a bummer um you could see like the the synergies they're going for between some cards like iconic cards like c3po and r2d2 um but you got a good feel just with a lot of generic units of how things were going um the arenas um i think you got a bad taste of the arenas with the demo deck because they they actually had a lot of ship units but it really just depended on what you draw, drew into right because you couldn't do any deck building with it and like find a proper balance of ground versus space units. So if one person ended up with a bunch of space units and the other person didn't have an answer, it was kind of a feel bad. But the uh, the sequencing and the game rounds felt really good. Um, I didn't feel like there was a big advantage for claiming the initiative and getting to go first in the second round, unless I or the next round, unless I had lethal. If I had lethal, then it was a huge advantage. But other than that, it just meant I did my action first. But since like... Uh, like in Ashes, you can um, know if you're going to be the first player in the second round, you could just swing all your units face. Since you can only swing one unit, it kind of slows you down a little bit. It makes it so. Claiming isn't so enticing. So it encourages you to not sit out and claim early, which I think is good. Um, the resource system worked perfectly. Um, the four-card hand size to start with was small. <laughs> it, it, it's a bit a bit small. But yeah, it was it was a fun game. I was happy with it. Do you think like your excitement for the game stayed the same, lessened, or grew after playing it at Gen Con? I think after playing it, it went up. Like I'm more excited about the game than I was before, but I'm also more frustrated that I have to wait until 2024 since I like just got to play it. Like why can't I play it again now immediately? Right. Um, especially being at Gen Con where like thousands of people are selling, like they're throwing games at you to get you to buy them. Right. So it's, it's like, that's the game I want to play, but I'm buying all these other things. Why can't I buy that game? And I get that they want to have the global release and sometime in 2024, but I also really just want to play more. So it's hard. Waiting is hard. So you mentioned, a book. you mentioned this Darth Vader winning streak initially. Uh, and then you kind of offhandedly called him sort of oppressive. Uh, I want to drill down on that a little bit. Do you think that that's a function of the decks as they were constructed? Or does the loop leader require a little more, or the loop deck itself require a little more finesse? Uh, or do you think that mechanically this is a, a leader that in a more open environment, looking at more cards, is going to end up being oppressive? I'd say yes and yes. Um, I do think that Vader... I think it was a function of the decks to start with, right? All of Vader's units are more aggressive. In a game where your objective is to murder the other person's base, being aggressive, like, pushes your win condition. So you can easily just, like, fall into a win, right? <coughs> Excuse me. But a lot of the, uh, a lot of the cards in Vader's deck, like, there was a... Let's see if I can find the name. There's a Stormtrooper Lieutenant that when you play them, they can grant an Imperial unit an attack. There's a mirror of that on the Rebel deck, but it costs more and has slightly better stats. But that means you're getting further and further behind in your board presence, like the Imperial player is getting further and further ahead. And uh, we talked about this before, the duality of Vader's ability and Luke's ability. 
Vader's ability was really easy to trigger because you played a villainy unit almost every turn, and then you could spend an extra resource to do damage to base and hit a unit. But Luke's ability was a lot more restrictive. You could give a shield to a unit you played that turn, um, and often that shield would get pinged off immediately. The decks where I saw, or the games I had where Luke like did the best that he could do, um, or or did end up winning, were games where he used his leader ability really well. Like there was one game where I think I had an R2 in my hand for the first turn. So I played R2 and gave him a shield, and then I drew into a C3PO. So every turn I was like drawing extra cards with Luke. Um, but that shield is like fleeting, right? As soon as it's knocked off, Luke can't put a shield onto it again the next turn. You've got to combo into something else to do that. So I do think that at the con, Vader felt a little oppressive, but that was probably more of a function of the decks and like the complexity of the Luke pre-generated starter versus the uh, Vader one that they had for demoing. Um, but I also think that with the cards we've seen, Villainy has a chance to just create these decks that really just control your board, but also push win condition, which is something that's always like, it's a contender for a tier one deck, right? If I can, in a game where there's lasting damage, if I can just keep playing bodies that murder your bodies as I play them, then I'm going to snowball to a victory while you, your board crumbles. Um, and that's the advantage of like a, a controly aggression style deck versus a like defendy turtling deck like Luke's. It's easier to make mistakes in Luke's setup where you put the shield on the wrong unit or you play the wrong unit and then it gets destroyed before you get to use it. I don't know if I answered your question. Well, I mean, it is hard to know. Like, until we yeah. see all the cars, it, it's difficult. But given hands-on experience, I was curious if we were... we were. I mean, as card players, we have to call something OP, right? <sighs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, OP is overpowered. Oppressive can be different than overpowered, right? Like That's true. There should be a deck that is controlling and wants to destroy units. Um, I will say, I, I got to play that, oh, what was our preview card? The TIE Interceptor something something. That card was in the demo deck, and that card is as good as we said it was going to be, right? Playing a unit that murders a unit when you play it, and then yours sticks on the board and forces them to swing into it, it was almost always a one for two unit trade. And that's huge, right? It became really clear yeah, that's that good. anytime you can trade into a unit and keep your unit alive so your opponent has to waste actions and other resources getting rid of it is like a huge advantage. Um, and you'd think that would be easier to do with shields, but for some reason it always became harder to do. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, the Imperial Interceptor that has the best art we've seen uh, in the game pulled its weight on the table um, it, it did well another thing before we move on to, to card previews i think um you got to sit down with some of the ffg team um and have like a little interview and i think you were working on something uh for youtube for that yeah we got to sit down with josh the op organizer for ffg so he, he emailed me and said that I could have the chance to ask 10 burning questions within limitations. So I asked 10 burning questions and recorded them, and I need to get them loaded onto my computer. But I think we'll put them out as like 10 shorts on YouTube. So um, some of the questions, you know, are like things you could probably pick up from the article, and some of them are, are newer things. So it'll be exciting. And uh, 
I'm excited for him to reveal and tell us more about his organized play plan. One thing I can tell you is from talking to him, because we talked for like 20 minutes, but I got, you know, 10 one minute videos of these 10 burning questions was that it's clear that like the passion and like, like we've been saying, they're saying all the things that we like. That's like really what they want. They want to give us the game we want. They want to give us the OP system that we want. And they're cognizant that it's going to take iterations and it's going to take time, but they really want feedback. So like as they release organized play details, it's very evident that like they're pouring over all the comments that happen on Discord and Facebook and Board Game Geek and all of that. And they're using it to try to like make an organized play system that really appeals to a customer. Um, and that was really exciting to me. I've never talked to an organized play person that I felt like this is going to be shocking based on my negativity towards organized play and the rest of the podcast, but like that I felt like was more in touch with like the community and player base, like listening to them and getting feedback from them. So that felt really, really good. Um, and I'm excited for him to tell us more. So I don't want to spoil what our 10 burning questions were, but um, you'll stay tuned to YouTube in the coming weeks to see, see them, I guess. Cool. Ben, do you have anything else or Dan, anything else about uh, Gen Con before we move on to the, going over some cards? I'm ready for cards, man. We got cards to get through. If I can remember a Gen Con situation where we used one, I'll bring it up. Cool. This is where the fun begins. So. All right. So we got a bunch of cards to go through. I believe I have all of the cards that have been revealed since the last time we talked and it's been a while since we've hung out so <laughs> there's quite a, a few pages to this document here uh but the two i'm most excited about ended up at the top because <laughs> i put this thing together so we're going to dive right in here uh to c3po and r2d2 so uh do we want to take these one at a time or look at how they interplay together first i think for the like straight up just audio listeners it's probably worth talking about each one like individually good point all right so we'll start with c3po this is a two cost heroism affiliated only heroism affiliated one four when played and on attack choose a number then look at the top card of your deck if its cost is the chosen number you may reveal and draw it otherwise leave it on top of your deck uh banana what do you think i think it's cool i think um it definitely works better with, you know, his companion. Um, so you can, well, I think for this, we almost need to look at R2-D2, right? Yeah. We always need to know what he does. Fair enough. All right. So R2-D2 is a one cost, also heroism only affiliated, one four. Uh, when played and on attack, look at the top card of your deck and you may put it on the bottom of your deck or leave it on top. Right. So essentially R2-D2 tees it up. And then C3PO puts it in your hand. Right. All right. That when you have both of them together, that combination is great. Either one of them by themselves, I think is good. But when you have both of them, obviously the synergy is there that you were always going to draw the card pretty much when you, when you have them both, because you can, you know, attack with R2, you see the card, so you know what the cost is. So you can make sure you draw it. So I think it's a good combination. I think either one together is still is still good and decent, but they're definitely the power level of them is is together. I'm very sad this isn't conjoined art like the the Darth Vader Luke leaders, but I'll live. I'll live. 
seems like that's a promo, right? That's pr- promo material. That's fair. Yeah, for sure. A stacker of these two. Uh, I think it's worth saying R2-D2, I think, is good everywhere. He's going to be good in draft, sealed, uh, all forms of limited play. He's going to be good in constructed. I think C-3PO probably is more likely to get your value in a constructed deck in a, any kind of limited format. I don't know how likely you are to pull R2-D2 and C-3PO to tee him up, uh, nor do I know how likely you would be to pull cards that you could build around C-3PO's condition. So in a constructed deck, you might not even need R2-D2. You might be able to just build your deck in such a way that you get hits the majority of the time. Uh, but I think R2-D2 is good literally everywhere. And they, they both have an S at the bottom. Do we know what that means? A starter. They, uh, starter. The, so the they might not stream. even be in boosters. Um, it might be starter. Oh, actually, only. I think they said the starter decks won't be in boosters. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. They confirmed that. Um, I think Danny confirmed it on stream yesterday that S starter was a rarity level. Not super. Got it. Um, I think it's really important to point out that these are when played and on attack. So anything that's when played is really good because you get the effect at least one time, even if they're defeated. That being said, even at one and two cost, having four hit points is really high in this game based on the other cards we've seen, right? You're going to have two resources that first turn, so you can play a C-3PO, and uh, your opponent's going to have a hard time playing a unit that can immediately swing into C-3PO in the next round and remove it before he gets to attack a second and trigger his ability a second time. So especially in the Luke deck, right, I played R2 and put a shield on him. And then round two, I played C-3PO and put a shield on him. And now those units were super sticky because you'd have to remove the shield and do four damage. So they'd often get two or three attacks off. I think that both cards are going to be really good. I could easily see someone making a C-3PO deck where like every card in your deck costs two. So you know C-3PO is going to hit. Or every card costs three except for C-3PO. So you've removed most of that probability. Um, and like you said, R2-D2 is just going to be great for finding the right cards. Um, one thing we found really useful by the end of the weekend was that with C-3PO, you get to look at the top card of your deck, and if it's not the number, you put it back. But that does give you knowledge about your future rounds, right? So you know one of the cards you're drawing next round, so you say, okay, well, maybe I can like use this event for removal because I know I'm drawing another one next round and things like that. So you get a lot of use out of them, even if the abilities don't synergize, but they obviously are like the bee's knees if they do. I also just real quick before we move on, I want to point out the subtitles. So the mm-hmm. subtitle on C-3PO is protocol droid and R2-D2's is ignoring protocol. And that's just fun little flavor there. Adorable. That's appropriate. Yeah. Onward. Uh, All right. Moving on to the next two cards. Uh, We have a three cost heroism affiliated only fleet lieutenant. He is a three, three with a win played. You may attack with a unit. If it's a rebel unit, it gets plus two plus zero for this attack. Start with you, Dan. Really good card. Um, I think the, the villainy one is a little bit better, but um, a 3-3 three, three that grants you an attack when played is going to push you ahead in your actions. And the plus two attack is like nothing to sneeze at, right? This is one of the ways that someone can drop like a 2-2 two, two, turn one and make it into a 4-2 two, to kill your C-3PO or R2-D2 in a mirror match. It's a really strong card, good tags. Right now, like almost everything we saw in the starter deck had a rebel affiliation. 
can also make rebel space units attack, so you can like build up some ground pressure in a space-focused deck and send your ships off attacking, which I really like. Yeah, I think he summed it up pretty well. Seems like a really solid uh, ground unit, but um, yeah, the Imperial one's a little cheaper, right? So it's probably a little, a little more efficient. It's probably yeah. worth pointing out that the unit that's targeted with this power has to be possible to be a legal attacker. It's not yep. going to let you like attack with a unit and now it's exhausted. Then you play the fleet lieutenant and get a second attack with it. It doesn't work that way. It has to be a legal attacker. Yep. It's a good thing to point out. All right. My favorite combo with this was to flip Luke so he was in play. And the next turn, play Fleet Lieutenant, tell Luke to attack, and it gives your Fleet Lieutenant a shield, because he gives another unit a shield. So there was lots of interplay with your leader with this unit in the demo decks, which was pretty fun. Okay, uh, we'll move on to Wele. This is a three cost. Uh, what's yellow? Cunning, is that right? Oh. Cunning-affiliated <laughs> event. Return a non-leader unit to its owner's hand. Banana? I think this could be real rough, right? If um, if you, like, late game, you're trying to drop a boss monster down, right? And then, nope, you just wasted seven resources back to your hand. It goes. That's a, that could be such a feel bad, right? When you think you're about to push through or you're, you know, you're trying to play catch up and you think you got the unit to, to come back. Nope. Back to your hand. It could be such a feels bad. So I think it's really good card for, for the cost, right? I mean, it's direct spot removal, so and it's non-damage based, so it's going to ignore things like shields, uh, and it's going to let you get around this. This could hit big fatties, like you were saying. This could also hit like key support cards early in the game. Now, maybe it hurts to pay three to remove some critical unit, like a C-3PO or something, mm -hmm. but breaking your opponent's engine is sometimes the only way you can get to victory. So if you're on the yellow color, this feels like premium spot removal to me without, of course, knowing their full kit. We use this the most to bounce a Sentinel, right? Once they had spent all the resources, you bounce a Sentinel, and now you have clear access to throw damage onto base. Um, it's definitely not as bad to have something bounced to your hand as to have something just straight up defeated by, like, we've seen Vanquish, which costs two more in Vigilance, but defeats a non-leader unit. So, like, I definitely had my ATST or something bounced, um, and it was annoying, but at the same time, I felt comfortable spending seven resources on an ATST, so I, or six, or whatever it is. So I was probably, like, a little bit ahead anyway. Um, so Waylay never, like, lost me the game by bouncing a big unit, but it did win a lot of games by bouncing a Sentinel to, like, open up the floodgates to damage. Any other comments on these before we move on? All right. Nope. Uh, uh, we have a super laser technician. This is a three cost command and villainy affiliated ground unit. He's a two one when defeated. You may put this unit into play as a resource and ready it. Now this is pod racing. <laughs> uh, that seems very good. Uh, ramp is generally good across most games, and this is ramp that could essentially function as a... I, the body is a little bad for the cost, but
but you play this dude, you run him into something, hopefully it's a one-for-one one trade, and then this turns into your ability to play a five-drop on turn four. Uh, I don't think the low defense value can be counted against the card because you kind of want it to die. Uh, so I think this is pretty good. Yeah, I think having two attack is great at this card. This was like the MVP of so many Vader games. Um, a lot of times it was used to just like knock the shield off something so you could actually deal damage to it, but it it was almost never defeated by the Rebel player. It was always trading into something because they didn't want to give the, the Vader player um, ramp. I love this card. I love the artwork. I love DJ Kyber. He is yeah. out there. <laughs> turning those tables and making those lasers blast. Um, I love the theme of it, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, I like, I like ramp. I like tempo. Let's, I'm all for it. Bring it on. Okay. Thumbs up across the board for the super laser technician. Next up, we have the two cost snow trooper lieutenant. This is a villainy only affiliated ground unit. It's a two, two. And when played, you may attack with a unit. If it's Imperial, it gets plus two, plus zero. We've kind of already talked about this card, uh, but now we've put a name to, to the illusions Dan was making earlier. This card's good. It's like so good. Um, and tempo isn't that good, but it's good for the surprise, right? I think we've, we've seen surprise attack and cunning that costs maybe the same amount, I would have to remember. Um, and gives like slightly more attack, but it doesn't build a body on the board. So like this really lets you make value trades with your unit. You can take your one cost unit and trade into a three cost unit and build a two cost body on your board. And that's super, super strong. Um, so it does have less health than the rebel counterpart, but the fact that it was cheaper made it that much better. You're never going to play this in turn one, right? Cause you want to use that when played ability. Because um, that's part of the value is getting that extra two attack on attack. But it's so good for value trading that I think it's it's going to be a staple in any deck that has villainy. That's an Imperial-themed uh, deck. I think it looks awesome. Um, good. I guess not sure. awesome, but looks good. More efficient version of the, the Rebel one. All right. Moving on to the first Legion Snowtrooper. This is a ground unit. Uh, red is aggression and villainy affiliated 2-3. While attacking a damage unit, this unit gets plus two attack and gains overwhelm. Uh, there's reminder text on these cards as there should be in a first set. Uh, overwhelm allows you to deal excess damage to the opponent's base. So like trample and magic. Banana, you got thoughts on the first Legion Snowtrooper? I think it looks uh, situationally really good. Um, I think combined with his lieutenant, right, he can be um, potentially like a, a 6-3 with Overwhelm uh, to really push some damage. So the, the ceiling, I think, is, is pretty high, but it's very conditional um, when he's going to be as good. Really built to be with the Vader leader. Since you have that leader ability to ping for one, you can ping something. And now, since this is probably already on the board threatening an attack, your opponent has to either crash that unit or allow you to get plus two and overwhelm. So this was something where we would ping C-3PO or R2-D2, 
And then the Luke player would be like, well, either I'm going to lose my R2 and take damage to my base, or I can crash my R2 into something, and like then I have the power of where that damage goes. Um, and it was a real feels-bad choice for the other players. Just having that ability on the board could cause a lot of chaos. So, good unit. I don't think it's as um, like auto-include as the uh, Snow Trooper Lieutenant, but still a really good card. As far as the stats, I don't think it's terribly exciting, but it's totally fair. You're you're getting a good rate for your investment, and the upside potential of being able to put two or three uh, points worth of damage into the base seems very good. Yeah, it seems like a strong card. Uh, force choke, two cost event, aggression and villainy. If you control a force unit, this event costs one less to play. Deal five damage to a non-vehicle unit. That unit's controller draws a card. Dan, what are your thoughts? So this card needs to go with a card on the next page. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but this card's really good removal, right? One cost when you're playing with uh, Vader out as a unit. Not when he's a leader in the base, but when he's a unit leader in the field, you could trigger this cost reduction. One for five damage is really good. Right, you're not going to get more efficient removal than that. So there's a drawback of that unit's controller draws a card. Now there's a couple combos in the demo deck where you can force choke your own unit for advantages, and then you draw a card. And that was actually like the MVP play of many many Darth Vader games. So we'll get to it in a minute, but we'll see what everybody else thinks about force choke first. I really like force choke. I think it's interesting that. Um, anybody can play it, but it's just cheaper if you control a force unit. Like, normally you wouldn't think, like, using a force power could be, like, you know, potentially you could have R2-D2 force choking, you know, <laughs> a Wampa, right? So that just seems odd, but um, it's whatever it's... Uh, I guess it's a good uh, lever to pull for not, like, for limited and sealed and stuff, so... um I think it's a really good card overall. Unlimited theme potential. I, I kind of wish the draw was conditional as well. So if you pay two for five damage, that's all it does. But if you have the force unit and you get the discount, then that generates the extra card. I'm not sure why I feel that way. I just, like, I think mechanically it's fair in what it does. But I, I don't know. That seems more interesting to me. Okay, so we'll move on to two-cost ground unit, uh, villainy, affiliated, villainy Affiliated, Admiral Motti. 1-1, uh, when defeated, you may ready a villainy unit. So I think this is the one you were referring to that you could get some extra benefit out of Force Choke, eh, Dan? Yeah, right? So if you have your Vader in play, your big seven-cost Vader leader that on attack deals two damage to a unit, um, you can attack with Vader, deal two damage and kill a weenie, hit the base for five, force choke your own Mahdi, which happens like in the movie, right? Draw yourself a it's card and ready your Vader. It's like the ultimate fun thematic play. Um, and like seeing people realize that could happen like in a game was extremely exciting. Like when they put all the pieces together, they were like, I understand it now and I love it. Um, so... I don't think it's going to be often you want to pass the card draw to yourself, but there's hopefully will be other reasons to do that as well. Um, 
Well, only time will tell, right? Seems like a cool combo. I like it. You could always crash Madi into something as well, right? But to get the card draw and the theme points, and if they have nothing to crash it into, right, then you're just stuck hitting base. But you'd rather hit base for five with Vader than one with Madi. So um, that is one thing I didn't say earlier that I noticed is leaders do not last a long time once they're flipped. And maybe it was because of Luke and Vader, Luke being at six, Vader being at seven, and that super laser DJ hopping Vader early. But it always seemed like one player flipped, the other player flipped, they murdered each other, and they were gone, um, which was a bit unfortunate, right? You want your leader to be a little more active. Um, but again, I think that may have been more of inexperience and the style of the promo or demo decks. Got anything to say about Mahdi Banana, or should we move on? I think you guys covered it. I think we can move on to the next one. Okay, so we have a seven-cost villainy-affiliated event, Galactic Ambition. Play a non-heroism unit from your hand for free. Deal damage to your base equal to its cost. I absolutely love these kinds of cards. I'm a huge fan of being able to actively use your health pool as a resource uh, the ability to get a unit getting that unit into play after you have to pay seven for this card though does feel a little awkward so it's hard for me to fully understand where this is going to fit in uh, but generally speaking i like being able to pay for things with my health banana yeah i really like this card um has like a late game way to cheat some stuff out. Um, I think you're definitely going to want to have like maybe one of the cards we're going to look at later uh, in your deck. I think it has to be super impactful to be worth um, taking the damage, right? Because if, if you're paying seven for this, I'm thinking you're going to want to be dropping like an eight, nine, you know, maybe 10 cost card to because you're, I think you're trying to cheat something out, right? So, um, yeah, I think it just it needs to be really impactful to be worth both the resources and the health loss. My initial assumption is this this is for out of aspect cards. So if you're running like a red, what is the Vader starter deck? Red it's aggression, villainy, some other color that I can't remember. And you want to include like a nine cost blue card. You could cheat in that nine cost card, I assume, without paying the tax, because the cost of that card is nine. It doesn't say printed cost on um, Galactic Ambition, so I don't know if you still have to deal damage uh, for the tax that you'd have to pay. But it could be a cool way to cheat in, right, some weird little combo. Um, that said, it's like super combo heavy, and I agree. Like if you're paying seven to cheat in a unit and taking damage, it feels like a really big gamble because you're throwing almost all your resources away and a ton of health away to get a unit that hopefully makes an impact. So it feels a little bit like a desperation move. All right. Uh, Vigilant Honor Guards. These are a five cost ground unit. Vigilance and Heroism affiliated, 4-6. While this unit is undamaged, it gains Sentinel. Uh, again, there's reminder text here. So Sentinel is is Taunt. It protects your base. People have to deal with it. Uh, what do you think, Dan? 
really good. Um, works well with repair where you can heal the honor guard and give them sentinel again. Works great with Luke's shields. Stat line is pretty reasonable. Um, the most interesting thing I found about sentinels while playing is sentinels are actually really aggressive. You don't have to have like your sentinel exhausted for that sentinel to be turned on. So your best use of a sentinel is to swing at base and then force them to waste their units removing your sentinel. Um, so I like that this unit loses sentinel after being hit because they might waste one hit on the Vigilant Honor Guards and then have to hit our friend Chewbacca over here before they can hit them again. So it like, with that six hit point pool, it lets them take an attack and then usually last one more round, which is pretty nice. I uh, really appreciate the artwork on this card and how it looks like they're about to drop the sickest album um, <laughs> Yavin has ever seen. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think so far everything we know like from the rules and, and uh, like if you played any test games with like the the print and play files on like Discord and stuff that um Sentinel is is uh kind of a necessity, I think, from what we've seen so far to to live. because um, it's the only real defending we have, right, is is Sentinel units. So um yeah, I like Sentinel and units. Blowing up other people's stuff. That's the only defending we have in this game. Yeah, and any game where the attacker gets to choose where it puts its damage, the ability to disrupt that is super important for the defending player. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll head over to Chewbacca here. He's a 5-cost, cunning, and heroism-affiliated 3-6 ground unit who has Sentinel, and when this unit is attacked, ready him. Uh, this is... This is very good. <laughs> mm hmm. I like mm -hmm. this uh, Chewbacca a lot. Um, yeah. Sentinel, and when he's attacked, you get the ready him. So you, there's no choice, right? You, you're going to have to at some point deal with him. And when you do, yep. you know he's going to ready. Um, the best strategy against him is just kill him the turn he comes out. Because then the readies don't matter. He, like, can't attack, right? Um, but if you wait a turn, or if, like, your opponent plays Chewbacca after you're tapped out on units or exhausted out on units, then Chewbacca's going to be able to, like, attack multiple times the next turn. And I think we saw Chewbacca take out, like, three or four characters in one game because he just kept killing things and getting waylaid back to hand and played again or repaired or something like that. And he was just a monster. So why would the ready not matter on the turn he's played? He can't attack the turn he's played, right? Um, Are you? Well, that then, oh, he can if he gets yeah, ready. Oh, I think the way it works is units interplay exhausted, and that's so he can still ready and attack. attack. Oh, yeah. okay. Because if you think about the, I can't remember what the keyword is here, but ambush. charge essentially. Oh, ambush. Person. That's right. Ambush. Yeah. yeah, it specifically says ready the unit, then and they then get it to can attack the so. unit. Okay, so it would work the turn he's in play then, too. Dang, we were playing that wrong, I'm pretty sure. Right, but if it's still, like, the turn he's... Like, if you focus him down, right, that's still probably the best way because if you can get him off in two attacks, right, he gets one ready and maybe one attack. Big versus, chunks of damage is the right answer, yeah. Yeah. Or you force Seems choke really it, good. you know, attack and a force choke. I, I have played other games with cards almost exactly like this. Like, big butted blockers that get free attacks when you swing into them and it's been good in multiple other games so this, i think this is going to be no exception this feels pretty gross with um 
like wing was it wing leader that gives like two experience tokens oh but he can't because he's not a rebel unit so that doesn't work so if there's other ways to get chewbacca uh experience tokens like dangerous it's really annoying with luke's shield that's for sure yeah you have to attack into him to ping the shield off and he gets to ready and shoot something that seems pretty good <laughs> mm-hmm Okay, moving on to the ATST. Ground unit, villainy affiliated, six cost, six, seven with overwhelm. What do you think, Banana? You just got waylaid. Oh, okay. Well, Dan, what do you think? Uh, waylay target, right? That's what happened every time this unit came down is they got popped back to hand. Um, either popped back to hand or like vanquish you need something to answer this when it comes down and it might be the card on the other side right but um it's another unit that you just need to remove before it really starts causing problems it does take a lot of resources um but it also brings a really big body out so pretty strong not force chokeable that's good I mean, it seems like if your opponent doesn't have some form of like event-based removal, if they're having to deal with this thing honestly on the board, you are set up to like three for one or you know two for one with something really big and then a small thing. Like this guy seems like he's going to trade very favorably if your opponent doesn't have like a waylay or some other form of uh, removal that just comes from hand. Yeah, maybe in the demo in the demo games we actually FFG wanted you to play Vader versus Luke, but we cheated once and played Vader versus Vader. And you can Vader ping this and put it down to six. And then you talked about a combo earlier with the stormtrooper that gets plus two when it attacks a damaged unit, and the other stormtrooper that grants that unit plus two. So that unit it was a two cost unit that could swing for six. So you can create little combos in your deck that have large chunks of damage, but I think you need those big chunks to deal with things without losing too many bodies. Makes sense. Do you have any uh, further thoughts on the ATST banana? Uh, no, I don't think so. I like. I mean, I like it. I think it's cool. Um, it gives us. I think this gives us a good idea of kind of like what the mid to top end of the the curve will look like stat wise on units. So. I liked seeing that because everything we had seen before this was like cheap units. So, mm-hmm. okay. So next we have a five cost snow speeder. This is a ground unit heroism affiliated three, six. It has ambush, which is the ability that when the unit enters play, it readies and can attack an enemy unit uh, and on attack exhaust an enemy vehicle ground unit. Seems like a good answer to that ATSC. Yeah, and a future ATAT, right? Like the theme on this is just on point. So, um, thumbs up for that. Um, it seems very specific, right? We haven't seen a we haven't seen a lot of cards in general, right? But I think this is is this the only ground vehicle unit we've seen? Are these ATSTs and snow speeders? Um, to this point, yes. I don't know. I think so. so if there's ever, yeah. If there's ever like a vehicle ground unit heavy meta, it's going to make a lot of sense, but it seems like almost all of the vehicle units we've seen have been spaced so far. So it mm. could feel a little bit like a feels bad card if it's just a blank card for most of your games. But Ambush is still good, I guess. 
Yeah. Five cost is expensive for a tech card too. Like if this is specifically in here to answer ground-based vehicle threats and there aren't any, uh, generally speaking, when I'm putting cards in my deck that are about targeting a very specific thing, I want them to be cheap. Like I like cheap tech cards. Expensive tech cards can be clunky and really rot in your hand in the matchups where they're not applicable. You can at least resource it, right? So, I guess that's true. Yeah, but I think I think um, I think the the rationale the rationale of saying, oh well, I'll put this bad card in my deck because I can just resource it. I think it, at that point you still just keep it out, right? Um, but I think maybe if if we get sideboards for this game, then maybe that's a spot for I, it. I'm definitely always in favor of the not putting bad cards in my deck plan <laughs> typically <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, they're all good cards. I, I was watching firebat play hearthstone years ago and he was playing a discard deck and it was like well you can't get emotionally invested to what cards get discarded because they're all good cards i don't put bad cards in my deck that, that i come from that deck building school right like i think if you're trying to justify putting a card in your deck and the justification is well if it sucks in every matchup except for one at least i can play it as a resource you probably just shouldn't have it in your deck probably not. yeah might, might be meta dependent but you're probably right yeah <laughs> okay next up we have a system patrol craft this is a four cost space unit vigilance affiliated three four with sentinel dan what do you think solid Gets around the tie advanced or tie interceptor, the the other one. Um, Sentinel with more hit points than power. I'm happy about. I think is this our first space unit with Sentinel that we saw, right? So, I think it is right. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So I'm I mean, scrolling through, but yeah, I believe so. Yep. So it seems like it could be relevant, right? Um. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it seems decent. I don't care for the art. I, I'm not even sure. Like, the, I don't know. I'm not even sure what part of the ship I'm looking at exactly. I I don't really care for that. But as far as a four cost three four sentinel, yeah, that's a, a, everything else is good. I'll just ignore mm -hmm. the artwork on this one. Yeah. Uh, moving over to a four cost space unit. Uh, villainy affiliated tie advanced this is a three two win played give two experience tokens to another friendly imperial unit so this is another one of these cards that's giving you a body and then giving you some of its stats some, some of the costs that you're paying to get this is being invested in units elsewhere on the board anytime you have that it's worth mentioning this is a combo even if it's just two cards you just need one other imperial unit in play combos always are that's a moving part within a deck. So you're not always going to get that value. And I think if you're in a situation where this is a four cost three, two, that does nothing, you probably want to put those resource points somewhere else. I think you kind of have to get the, uh, satisfy the, the condition to get those two experience tokens or this probably you don't want to play it. I don't know. Banana. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, like you said, you definitely you definitely don't want to play it if you don't have a unit to give the experience tokens to. Um, I think it's interesting how the tie advanced is like a more expensive version of the wing leader, and then on the other side of that, you have like the 
snow lieutenant is like a cheaper version mm-hmm. of the fleet lieutenant so they like we have this space and ground mirror kind of between space and ground imperial and rebels so i just think that's interesting but um but yeah i think we've seen from like uh again if you've played any like games on tts or with the printed stuff that those experience tokens can be very impactful to to keep a unit alive like giving them to a sentinel unit with an even bigger butt uh can be very relevant so i think it's a it's a decent card uh, but yeah like you definitely don't want to play it if you don't have anything to give the tokens to yeah i think with these conditional things depending on how conditional they are you could probably make a deck with all imperial units but if you have an imperial leader that when you flip them out you know you can immediately give them to experience it's gonna be clutch yeah, that is probably where a lot of these conditional cards are going to shine is when their condition is satisfied by your leader. So you're yeah. kind of like building around your tent pole character. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. This Han Solo artwork. Uh, man, it's pretty funny. All right, Adrian, seven costs, no, Han Solo, ground unit. <laughs> Looks like Stallone yes, at the end of Rocky. Have... <laughs> yeah, he does have that kind of look for sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is Han Solo, seven cost, uh, ground unit, cunning and heroism affiliated. He's a six, six with ambush and while attacking this unit deals damage before the defender. So charge and first strike six, 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 six for seven cost. Dan, what do you think? Really strong. Like this is basically a removal spell with a body, right? Um, so I like it. The art reminds me of Winter Soldier from Marvel Champions. It'll probably always be criticized, but um, but yeah, I mean, and we've talked about it with the Vader deck earlier. Any body you can play that also removes something on play, which ambush plus first strike is probably going to cause that, um, you're in really good shape. What do you yeah. think, Banana? I think other than what's going on with this face, this card is awesome. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think he did. You know, Han shot first, right? So I like it. Yeah, the, this is going to be good and constructed. This is going to be amazing if you pull this in sealed uh, or or draft. Very good card. Uh, okay, Emperor Palpatine, the master of the dark side. Eight cost, aggression, villainy affiliated, 6-6. Six, six. He has Overwhelm and when played, deals six damage divided as you choose among enemy units. Anna, what do you think? I think, it's, this is, I think this is awesome. I think this did Palpatine justice. Um, being able to, you know, deal six indirect damage, basically, where you can assign it is pretty wild. You can ping shields off and finish off units and then, yeah, the Overwhelm. I think it's very I think it's a very well designed uh boss monster. Dan, would you play eight health on turn seven to get this guy in play? If it's gonna clear a sentinel out of the way, maybe. Or if it's gonna set up a bunch of those little stormtroopers that gain overwhelm when they attack damaged units. I think what I like about both the cards we have on the screen right now, Han and Palpatine, is something that I've heard people say in verses before, right? In Versus system two-player card game, when you drop like a nine-cost or a ten-cost character, 
those characters are usually like game altering. Like they almost break the rules and completely change the state of what's on the field. And both these characters do that. Like Han comes out, he's a threat that like you have to throw all your bodies at. Palpatine comes out and damages everything and completely changes your board state. Um, most of the games we played ended with seven to nine resources in play. So it makes total sense that like when you get to that point in the game, you should be dropping giant things that just alter the game state and push you to a finale. And I'm glad that it's iconic characters and not like generic Twi'lek smuggler that is the, the seven cost bomb of the, the cutting set. Right. So that's awesome. But yeah, I like, I like Palpatine. Eight costs. He's got the same stats as Han for a little bit less, but you're, again, when plays are super strong, right? If you play this and deal six to something, and now you can make it so anything that swings into it probably dies, right? So they might spend a unit getting rid of your Palpatine so he doesn't get to trigger his Overwhelm, but you've now done 12. It's pretty good. Seems like what a boss monster should be. Yeah. All right, moving on to Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is a six-cost ground unit, Vigilance and Heroism affiliated, 4-6 with Sentinel, and when defeated, give two experience tokens to another friendly unit. If it's a force unit, draw a card. Dan, what do you think? I like it. Again, Sentinels with big hit points, I love it. Um, when defeated are going to be interesting, right? Because with a Sentinel... Typically, I like when defeateds on units like uh, Mahdi that we saw earlier, where you probably want to actively crash that into something to trigger its when defeated. But here with Sentinel, you probably want to let your opponent trigger the when defeated and absorb as many attacks as you can. So it's a little bit uh, interesting, but at the same time, since that Sentinel can protect other force units, you could probably get your trigger going. Banana? Yeah, um, I really dig Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think it is a, again, like they're doing really well with like nailing the theme of that character at that time, right? So like Obi-Wan, you know, this is based on this artwork. It's when he's fighting Vader on the Death Star and he's like, strike me down and I'll become more powerful, right? So boom, strike him down when defeated and he's going to give Luke two experience tokens so he can blow up the Death Star in like 20 minutes, right? So, um, yeah, I think for six, this does a lot of cool stuff, and it, I think it really fits the character at this point. Uh, I really like that he has Sentinel, because if your opponent had the ability to set the board up and clear your other units before they took this guy out so they can make sure you don't get the benefit of the win defeated... Uh, or I guess I should say if they were able to do that easily, the Sentinel is going to require them to have some kind of removal from hand in order to set the board up in that way to deny you the value. And if you don't get those experience tokens, I think it probably feels bad to have invested six cost into a four, six. So Sentinel is a really important part of making this card work. And even then there may be some games where you put six resources into this guy and the only other unit you have in play gets sniped out of play by a waylay or a who's your daddy or whatever. Uh, and now Obi-Wan's sitting there with nobody to grant his wisdom to. Uh, and that might feel bad. Uh, in, in his peak play state, I agree that he's probably very good. But uh, I could see some situations where it might be paying a lot and not getting a ton of value out of it. 
moving on to Luce- Lieutenant Childson, Childson, uh, four cost ground unit, vigilance, villainy affiliated. He is a two, two with Sentinel and when played reveal up to four vigilance cards from your hand for each card revealed this way, give an experience token to a unit. What do you think banana? I think it's all right. Um, I'm not as high on this one as some of the other cards we've seen. I think it's just, it's a little more too conditional for me, like in sealed and limited. Like, I don't think this is going to be very good because I mean, we don't know all the rules for that, but how many vigilance cards are you going to have in your hand? Right. So I think you really got to build like kind of like a double vigilance deck to make sure mm-hmm. you're getting the most out of this card. If you're running vigilance villainy and like command i think there's more of a chance you're not going to get everything out of this card you want so he's he's okay but his he's he has a pretty high floor and a decent ceiling but he's he's all right dan probably higher on him than banana i think this is a cool way to encourage mono deck building without forcing you to go all in on two blue symbols with your base and your leader. So if you want to include like surprise attacks or something from cunning, but then go mostly vigilance, um, you can do that. And Lieutenant Childson, Childson, Children, whatever he is, is really strong, right? And he's a Sentinel with 2-2. That's pretty bad for four cost. But a six cost Sentinel at 2-2 for four cost? Like we were just talking about these bombs, Han Solo and Emperor Palpatine. Their stats are 6-6 and they cost seven and eight. So, yeah, they have other abilities that come with them, but, like, a 6-6 with Sentinel on your... You're going to start with two resources and then go to three and then go to four. So if your third play is a 6-6 Sentinel, you're, like, super adjusting the game state. Um, So I think he could be super strong. It is important to note that each card revealed gives an experience to this unit. So you're building up this unit by revealing more Vigilance units. Um... That being said, even if you only have three Vigilance cards and you just dropped a 5-5 Sentinel for four cost, that still feels above curve compared to the other cards we've seen. I think the uh, Vigilant Honor Guards were a 4-6 with Conditional Sentinel, and they cost five. Um, so with just three cards, you could become a 5-5, which is the same like total stats with Unconditional Sentinel ability for one leap resource less. So I think he's, he's going to actually see a lot of play in Vigilance heavy decks. At least villainy ones. Uh, I hate to kind of crap on two cards in a row, but I don't think I like this guy. Um, I, I think we have to pay more attention to giving away the information of what's in your hand. I think that's a really big cost, and you're not getting a lot of value out of it. Uh, if your hand is weak, uh, you want like if your hand is weak, your board state's probably not in great shape. In which case, you're going to want to play this guy as a five-five or a six-six. But if your hand is weak, that's the last thing you want your opponent to know. So now you're kind of like, well, I need this unit on board, but do I want to reveal to my opponent that I'm about to be a punching bag? And if your hand is really strong, then he's a win more card. So I don't know when I would want to play this guy. Like the situation where I think he would feel best is you play him and you reveal four awesome cards that makes your breaks your opponent's spirit uh but i just don't think that's going to be the case most of the time i'm pretty unimpressed with this guy uh four cost vigilance 
This is a double Vigilance affiliated event. Choose two in any order. Discard six cards from an opponent's deck. Heal five damage from a base. Defeat a unit with three or less remaining hit points. Or give a shield token to a unit. That is a lot of things. Uh, I guess do we want to kind of break down these effects? Or, or, yeah, I'll look at these effects one at a time. So the discard six cards from an opponent's deck late game. That probably has some value, but it, it doesn't seem... That's probably not the mode that I think you're probably going to go with most often. Uh, mm -hmm. Dan, you want to take the next one? Yeah, heal five damage from a base seems pretty solid, right? I mean, that definitely can prolong your game. Um, it's a little bit more like defensive and reactive, but that seems to be Blue's jam. So I think it's a pretty good choice. Uh, the next one, defeat a unit with three or less remaining HP, I think is... A plus. Yeah, really impactful. Really good. I think you're going to pick that one 90% of the time. Uh, in the last mode, giving a shield token to a unit, uh, That's I think that's kind of like what we're expecting from Vigilance as a color, just making their units a little bit stickier. My, my guess is the killing a unit while making your unit stickier is probably the two modes that you're going to pick the majority of the time. You're going to want that board interactivity, and the other two modes are going to be kind of like backup. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts? I agree. I think those are the two strongest choices, but at the same time, if I really need a shield on my Sentinel and there isn't a unit to defeat, but I can heal my base for five, like I don't mind paying four for that. I'm, uh, I'm most concerned about the double vigilance icon, right? This means that either you're paying six, which is a lot more to pay than four, um, to get two of these effects, or you're not running two colors, which is a big disadvantage in deck building, right? Especially in set one, it means your deck's probably more predictable because you have a more limited card pool or you're paying a lot of out-of-aspect uh, taxes on other cards. So I'll be excited to see if there's more double Vigilance cards to push this mono-style deck building. This works great with Lieutenant Children, but uh, probably I, I doubt I would want to pay six resources to do two of these effects. Uh, paying four seems fair. It doesn't seem broken. So it doesn't seem like the bees knees card i do think it's pretty cool that we we're starting to see some of the themes that vigilance is probably going to have right they have a lot of healing they have a lot of shielding they have a lot of um like sentinel and and unit removal sort of things we've seen with vanquish and sentinel kind of removes units we haven't seen a lot of mill cards from blue so i'll be interested to see if they get like a mill subtype i think in the game Milling turns to damage, kind of like ashes at the end of the game. Um, milling always can kind of feel bad, but it can also give your opponent some information. Or if there's something that pulls things out of discard, it can even like help your opponent, right? So it'll be, I feel like that one's almost never going to be picked unless there becomes a really toxic mill meta. Mm -hmm. Could potentially be like a late game door closer, too. Yeah, uh, remove. Card draw, burning potential. a few cards out, and then that turns into cards they can't draw, and they take damage off of it. it probably not often. Also interesting to note that this is the first legendary rarity card uh, that they've shown us. So, yeah. <laughs> and I uh, next up we have a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Banana. I was gonna say I I like the artwork on this one. I think it's, you know, Attack of the Clones. 
Anakin about to squish some bugs. So I do like the artwork. And I think your legendary point is important. They've said in streams before that like the hardest rarity cards won't be hard to get. It'll be the alternate arts and the chase cards and things like that. So we'll see how common a legendary card is to pull. If you're getting two legendary cards per box, then that statement was not true, right? So I'll be curious to see what legendary really means. I know I've seen like a lot of people complain about it on Discord and Facebook. For all we know, you could be getting a legendary like one in every three packs or something. Then it doesn't matter. But if it's like one or two per box, um, then that'll be a big bummer if this is a good card. Mm-hmm. That is a fair point. Uh, all right, so next up we have a two-cost distant patroller. This is a Vigilance-affiliated space unit. It's a 2-1, and when defeated, you may give a shield token to a Vigilance unit. We saw a card that did something similar, had, had a 2-1 body, died, and did something way better. Uh, I'm not super impressed with this card. There, there's probably some utility for it, especially if you're double dipping on vigilance and you really want those shield tokens but overall uh not not the most exciting space unit i think we've seen banana i'm not a huge fan of this card either um like Maudie's when defeated like i guess this still you still have control over this like you can run this into a unit to give it a shield token just like you did Maudie. so um I think this card would have been 10 times better if it had Sentinel, right? Um, if it was a Sentinel unit that when defeated gave a shield token, like I feel like then you're forced to defeat it. Um, but I mean, it's kind of Vigilance is Mahdi. So, um, I don't know. Are you still have some control over defeating, but your your opponent has control too. They can defeat a bunch of stuff. And then you don't have anything to give a shield token to. So uh, I'm yeah. not very high on it, but I mean, I, I talked about how leaders didn't survive really long. This is a cool way to set up your leader to survive, right? If you flip a blue leader into play and then the next turn, immediately give them a shield, they get some survivability. I do think this is the weaker of the when defeated effects we've seen with the super laser DJ and Mahdi and things like that. Um, it really is going to come down to how important shields are to Vigilance decks and to blue metas. We've seen a lot of Sentinel in Vigilance, and giving a blue or a Sentinel, well, a Vigilance Sentinel unit a shield is really, really strong. So if you can start like repeatedly giving that Sentinel a shield so your opponent just has to continuously crash into it, it's going to be really annoying. But nothing's going to be more annoying than you setting up, you know, your boss monster, Sentinel, Lieutenant Children, and then giving him a shield and then having someone play Waylay and be like, joke's on you. Do it all again. Um, so it's going to be, it'll be, it'll be depend on how much ping damage there is and, and how impactful shields are. If there's units that get like powered up when they're shielded or if uh, shielding Sentinels becomes a, a really good way to stall out a game. I think suffice to say, in order for this card to be something that's attractive, your deck has to be doing something specific. Like, yeah. like this has this needs something else to combo with it to make it good. By itself, this is a pretty meh card. 
Okay, uh, this card is not meh. Uh, nine cost, command, villainy, affiliated, space unit, uh, relentless. It is an 8-8. Eight, eight. The first event played by each opponent each round loses all abilities. Dan, what do you think? Seems pretty strong. Um, especially depending on what kind of events we're going to see late in the game, right? Canceling a repair, you probably don't care. But canceling a vanquish, really big deal, right? So it's it's really going to be strong if your opponent's down to like one event in their hand, because then that event is just neutered until this ship is gone. Um, that being said, I still think bodies are like the strongest thing in this game. Like bodies that do things when played are basically events with stats, right? And this doesn't do anything to stop those. So of the boss monsters we've seen, I think this is probably my least favorite. I definitely like Han and Palpatine a little bit better. I also think if you're getting to turn nine, yeah, you've got ramp from super laser DJ. Um, if you're getting to nine resources, like the game's coming to a conclusion. So I don't know how much events are going to save or make or break your opponent versus swinging at face. So I wish it had Sentinel or something to like make it so I didn't just spend all my resources and then I'm hoping that my opponent's plan was to play an event. Because um, it might not be. Banana? At first, I really was excited about this card. I think because it's a Star Destroyer, you know, I think it just pulled at my heart a little bit, but um, but I think Dan just convinced me to not be as excited about this card as I originally was, um, because I in my head I'm thinking, well, this is what I'm playing Galactic Ambition for right here. Is this relentless, right? But taking nine damage at that point in the game probably isn't the play you want to make. So I think Dan changed my mind. Uh, this card art is an absolute banger. Looks yeah. very, very cool. Um, and I think this card's ability is very similar to something I've seen in other games. Uh, thinking of DC Dual Force, the Aura ability, or mm -hmm. in the Eternal card game, the Aegis ability, uh, which is basically like a shield, but instead of protecting you from damage, it protects you from the effects of a spell or an action or an event in the case of Star Wars Unlimited. So this essentially functions as event shielding, which is what's going to protect this card from those out of hand removals and sort of force your opponent to deal with this honestly on the board through combat. Uh, but as Dan pointed out, we've seen cards like Han and Palpatine already, which are going to be pretty adept ways to get damage onto this thing. Uh, and they're a little more proactive, generally speaking. If this gets to survive for a turn, if the event shield that's on this protects it and allows it to actually, to where you get a swing with this thing, uh, eight attack is huge. I mean, that's, that mm -hmm. is definitely potentially a game-winning number, but if you're just waiting for this thing to be able to ready, if you don't have some way to ready this and swing with it yourself, uh, nine costs, I, I think I agree with Dan, I want to see a little bit more proactivity from a unit I'm investing that many resources into. You can ready it with Mahdi. There you go. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the, and then in that case, that feels pretty strong. You play it out, you know your opponent can't remove it with an event, you force choke your Mahdi, you ready this thing, and then you get to attack with it. Uh, 
I mean, unless your opponent goes event that fizzles into another event to remove it. And if your opponent's double committing event cards to remove this one thing, I don't know if that feels that bad. That probably feels pretty good, actually. Well, and if an opponent this round has already played an event and then you play Relentless, that'll be their second event to respond and try to remove it. So you got to play it at like the right time. Um, But I do think it's a fun boss monster. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, it's really going to depend on on how dependent is the meta on out-of-hand removal and how often are people like fighting honestly on the board. And if it's like a board-based, like combat-focused meta, this is not fast enough at 9 cost. It doesn't do enough. Also, just like Yoda, uh, this is worded to work in multiplayer formats. Each opponent, right? So that's, that's really cool to see that they're thinking about multiplayer, even though we don't know anything about it yet um, this far in advance. Right. Arguably, that might be where this card is designed to go. This yeah. might not be a card that really fits in 1v1 because it's a little too slow, but in multiplayer, I pack this and hose the enemy teams while you know my teammate over there has the firepower and the more proactive stuff. That could be what this card is meant to be played as. Uh, okay, moving on to the 2-1-B Surgical Droid. This is a Vigilance-affiliated one-cost ground unit. He's a 1-3, and when he attacks... You can heal two damage from another unit. Banana, you got thoughts? I got thoughts, but I don't know if any of them are appropriate for a children's podcast. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> is that what we are? Wait. <laughs> I uh, I think um, I think this card is cool, but I think it'll be more impactful in sealed and draft than constructed. This is a card that if I'm playing it, I want to make sure I can protect it somehow. So if I have a Sentinel heavy deck and this guy to heal my Sentinel units that are protecting him from damage, we're cool. Um, but I think you have to build, you know, I think a Sentinel is going to be everywhere. So he's probably better than what I'm thinking he's going to be. But um, if you have a way to protect it, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think one drop bodies are fun. Um, ultimately, since you start with two resources, I think you have this big question of, do I want one drop bodies with utility where I potentially play two cards round one, or would I rather just, you know, run two drops as the minimum of my curve? Um, healing seems super strong in a game with sustained damage. So if you have a way to get like experience on this guy or shields onto him so that he can last and trigger his ability multiple times, it's going to be really strong. If this was on play slash on attack, I think this card would be like in every blue deck. But since it's only on attack, he has to come into play exhausted, survive around, then find an opportunistic window to attack during. It's going to be a bit rough to actually get his ability to trigger. So we'll see. Given that we start with two resources, by definition, you will always be under dropping in order to play this guy. Uh, I don't think this card is worth underdropping. I think I would rather play on curve. Uh, I don't think he does enough. Uh, I would rather him maybe have better stats and be a two drop. Uh, but I'm if you and you know like oh god, I was gonna ask if you're playing a Luke leader though specifically, where his leader action is to pay one. Oh, but he doesn't. This doesn't work because he's yeah, not a heroism unit. You can't even shoot yeah. him with Luke. Never mind. I was going to say, Annoying, you, I, think, I feel like you want to kind of underdrop slightly with Luke Invader to trigger their abilities. 
but this guy you can't even hit with Luke, so never mind. Yeah, I, uh, I even Dan suggested like putting some experience on this guy to make him a little bit beefier. So I, I just feel like there's almost no situation where there wouldn't be another unit that I would rather invest in than this guy. Uh, but I could be undervaluing healing. I mean, I played black and blue in Magic, so. Yeah, and like his stat line isn't even that bad. If we look at other two-cost characters that have abilities, like Mahdi. We know Mahdi's ability is amazing. He's a 1-1 one, one that can ready a unit when defeated. If I play a surgical droid and you play a Mahdi and then I pass and then you pass, I get to kill your Mahdi with my surgical droid round two. Now, that'd be a really bad play out of my opponent. But like... His stat line is reasonable for a one drop. R2 has an amazing ability and is a one four. So that's like a supreme stat line. Um, be a little bit happier with a little bit more health, but I think his stat line's okay for a one drop. It's even comparable to a lot of the two drops we've seen. A lot of them are just two twos or two ones. But uh, yeah, I'm unimpressed. All right. Uh, best start of the set, objectively speaking. <laughs> we haven't seen that we have our, yet. We have, I hope it's done by the same artist. Uh, we have our Chewbacca leader card. So we'll start with his undeployed side. Uh, action, play a unit that costs three or less from your hand, paying its cost, and it gains Sentinel for this phase. Uh, and then he'll be able to level up and deploy once you get to seven resources. So start with you, Banana. What do you think of the undeployed side? I think it's cool. I think the ability to to give units that don't have Sentinel Sentinel is very um, impactful and can definitely alter your opponent's plan. So I think it's cool. Dan? Yeah, I think it's going to be strong. I think uh, we've seen a lot of units with when defeated abilities. And if you want to force your opponent to crash into those and waste their actions doing that, Chewbacca is going to be a great way to set that up. Um, I do think it'll be a little bit odd in, you know, turns four through six when your curve is over three, but you can't flip with your epic action yet, because then you're saying, well, if I want to use my action, I have to play a three drop and a one drop. That might not be as good as playing a four drop. It depends on how they balance and stat their game, right? So eventually he if you want to use that ability every turn, he like undercurves you, but at the same time it doesn't cost it's not like Luke, where you pay one and tap them to be able to play a unit and give them Sentinel. You just have to pay the Sentinels or the cards cost, which you're probably going to do anyway. Uh, once you get to seven resources, you're able to flip Chewbacca over. He becomes a ground unit. He's, uh, I don't think I mentioned that he was Vigilance and Heroism affiliated. Uh, he's a 2-9. He has Sentinel and he has Grit, which is the keyword that gives you plus one attack for each damage that you have on you. Um, given how we've talked about leaders not sticking around for very long, I imagine a Sentinel leader is going to stick around for an even shorter amount of time. Uh, what do you think, Dan? I agree. So this is where those little, uh, fighter jets that give something shield could be really good, right? If you can get a little bit of damage on Chewie and then start popping shields onto him continuously. So he has a lot of extra damage from grit that could be really strong. Um, I wish he was a Force Choke target just to power up his grit, but Force Choke has uh, villainy, so it can't be combined. I think 2-9 is a good stat line for Chewie um, as a leader. He's going to be a little bit stickier than Luke and Vader, the other leaders we've seen, 
Um, and he gets powered up as he takes attacks. So hopefully you at least get one or two good swings out of him as he's powered up. Um, I'm, I'm excited to play him. I think he looks really fun and a lot more complex than the, the starter leaders we've seen. Nine is a lot of health, man. Is that the most health we've seen on any, anything? It has to be, right? I think so. So I mean, like eight was on that one star destroyer, yeah. Right. So he's got more health than a star yeah, destroyer. So he's uh he's gonna stick around a little bit, but yeah, I mean having Sentinel, right? I I'm interested to see what, what other cards come out and what um decks get built around Chewbacca, right? Because if, if Chewbacca is the Sentinel, then I feel like like I feel like in the Vader deck, like Vader is the boss monster, right? At least in that the starter yep. Vader. When he comes into play, he's the thing wrecking. Chewbacca isn't a thing wrecking, right? He's enabling other things to wreck by protecting them. So I'm curious to see what, I mean, he could with grit, right? He could become like a 10 damage. Potentially a plus eight. Yeah, yeah. He could be ridiculous with experience tokens and shields at some point, but you have to do a lot to get to that. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to see what gets built around him that he will be able to enable. Depending on how much like self-damaging effects exist in the game, uh, if you're not relying on your opponent crashing units into him because he's Sentinel and you actually have the ability to like chip him down, swinging with a 10-1 leader on turn 7 could be a game-winning play. Uh, I don't think that's super realistic, but it, it's certainly something that could and will happen in some small percentage of games. This guy is going to take 8 damage and have just the biggest attack ever. Yeah, you do have to be a little bit careful to play around Vigilance. We talked about Vigilance earlier, and I forgot to mention this. The defeat a unit option in Vigilance isn't defeat a non-leader unit like Vanquish and Waylay have been. So you can defeat a Chewbacca that has only three health left using Vigilance. So you got to be a little bit careful with how much damage you soak for Grit. But even if you take three damage and you're a 5-9, that's a... Vader is a 5-8 for his stats, and he has a one-win attack ability or an on-attack ability that makes him a little bit stronger. But a 5-9 is a reasonable unit on turn 7, I feel like. Especially for free, right? You just flip him in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, any further thoughts on Chewbacca? He's good. I like him. All right, so... Here at the end, I don't think we need to go over these cards again because we've talked in depth... Uh, about them previously, as well as kind of what Dan was going over his his games earlier. But this at least gives uh, people on the uh, video feed version of the podcast uh, the ability to look at what the promos looked like from Gen Con. And I suppose for the audio listeners, I can ooh and ah, because they do look very good. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it gives us a glimpse into what um, like a full art treatment looks like for some of these cards. My only wish is that the text box would have been like more transparent, right? Like keep the borders and everything, but have the transparent text box so that you really could appreciate the full art and not just, you know, more art. I guess. Yeah. But I agree. They're pretty sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of that relatively long list of yeah. cards. Yeah, so um, we do have a few listener questions that we can hit really quick. Um, I think it's just three. I have them 
So from Wreck and Roll, Brian, what advice would you give to players in your local group who are hesitant to try SWU or Star Wars Unlimited SWU because of what happened with Destiny? Dan, I'll give this one to you. I've talked to our local store and I haven't had any hesitancy from anybody yet. So maybe our our meta didn't get as burnt on Destiny because it kind of died here locally before the big swooping. Um, they all do laugh about the fact that FFG is doing a CCG. They think that's pretty funny because they're they're big LCG fanboys. So they, uh, they, they, they see this as a sign of betrayal to the LCG lines, but they're all super excited to try it. Um, a lot of them got to demo it at Gen Con, so everybody's had high hopes so far. So I don't have much convincing to do, thankfully, so I'll pass. Ben, what advice would you give to your local group? So as a massive fan of the original Versus system, which was canceled by Upper Deck after assuring us that they weren't going to cancel it, and they finally announced they did on my birthday that year, no less, I have a lot of empathy for the Destiny players who look at FFG as uh, perhaps a spurned lover or someone who who betrayed their trust. And while I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, I'm not trying to mock. Your feelings are valid. I totally get it. Uh, But in the real world, things happen. Like You can either choose to be mad at FFG because the Destiny game didn't work out and then not play a Star Wars card game, or you can choose to play the Star Wars card game. and at the end of the day, each person is going to kind of have to make that choice for themselves. In my opinion, I think not having the fun of playing the Star Wars card game because of what happened with Destiny is a little bit like cutting off your nose to spite your face. But uh, again, if that's how somebody feels, your feelings are valid and that's fine. Um, I think I would say that FFG is clearly a different company in different hands, run by different people at this point. And what we've seen from FFG and the resources they've put into this game to this point, um, they're clearly all in on this, right? Some of the games you feel like they were half in, right? They were in on the game design and they nailed game design pretty much all the time, but they didn't back it up with the other foot, right? They were already moved on to something else. It kind of felt like, so I feel like it feels like they're all in on Star Wars Unlimited and it feels everything I've seen from FFG from the has its own website, the articles, the streams, the interaction with FFG employees in the community and everything. It just seems different than anything else I have personally seen from FFG. Um, so I think it's worth giving them another shot, even if you, you know, feel burned. Um, Next up, we have Citizen Keen asked, "What's the Star Wars Unlimited pitch that you're gonna? Um, what's the Star Wars Unlimited pitch in the current CCG landscape? If you are meh on Star Wars as an IP, so I guess how do you pitch the game to someone that doesn't really care about Star Wars? So for me personally, I approach every card game as a checklist of mechanics. There's mechanics I like, and there's mechanics I don't like. And the more of the mechanics that a game has that fall into the like category, the the greater the chances that I'm actually going to pick up that game and play it and enjoy it and evangelize and talk about it on podcasts. Um, so again, I guess this is a little weaselly because I, I am going to resort to each person's going to kind of have to make their own decision on what mechanics matter to them. I like attacker initiative 
a lot. I like a resource system where I can't get mana screwed or mana flooded a lot. I like the ability to draw two cards a turn a lot. I like persistent damage on a cardboard card game a ton. So there's a lot of specific mechanic things that even if you look at cards as widgets and you ignore the theme entirely and you just look at the mechanics of the game, I think this one has a lot of really solid things that speak to me as a player. If those mechanics don't click with you as a player, I, I don't know that I can sell you on them. Like if you prefer defender initiative to attacker initiative, this might not be the game for you. Uh, but if you like Hearthstone, if you like Versus, if you like the card games where you get to play a dude and like do stuff with him I, I, and choose where those attacks are going, I think this is probably going to be right up your alley. Good pitch. You um, got one. I would tell him you don't. Yeah, go for it. No, I was going to ask if you have one. Yeah, I would tell him you don't have to like Star Wars, right? There's people from all areas that maybe liked one thing in Star Wars, but then they hated that we didn't get like Dark Side Luke or something in the sequel trilogy. Guess what? In this game, it's unlimited. You can make that happen. Might be a bad decision to play villainy cards in a Luke deck, but you can do it, right? So I think showing them that the deck building potential is unlimited and showing them that it was designed with limited play and organized play and player-friendly collectability is those are all the things that people like. It's like the constant gripe of every card game community I've ever been in. So it's like we've talked about on the podcast for a while. They're saying all the things we like. And if they show us those things when the game comes out, it's going to be really easy to sell to... Uh, card game players that aren't that excited on Star Wars. There's one guy in our group that uh, he he's not a big Star Wars fan, but he loved Destiny just because of the mechanics. And he would always just like make up jokey names and like make fun of like there was the Maz Katana card where it says she's a space pirate. And he's like, this looks like a space grandma, not a space pirate. But uh, he had fun making fun of it even, right? So I think that we'll get big, a big hoot out of that anyway. And the uh, last one is from Jedi Geek Girl. And uh, she asks, what is the biggest name from the original trilogy that you predict will not be in Spark of Rebellion? So, the biggest name from the original trilogy that will not be in Spark of Rebellion. Well, it's probably going to be Max Rebo, and I'm <laughs> going to be very disappointed by that. I was going to be disappointed if your answer was anything but... Max Rebo at this point. <laughs> I kind of got teed up for that one. Yeah. He, he's my biggest name in the original trilogy. <laughs> um, I'd say we've seen a lot of the big names already, right? So I doubt they're going to hold back an iconic character. I think the biggest name we're going to get held back is going to be like Owen Lars or the unnamed Bounty Hunter 7 from the cloud city scene i mean i guess they're not unnamed they all have names and very important stories i'm sure i read them as a child but um you know for or something like that right so i think we're gonna we're gonna get all the main characters I, don't, I can't see a reason not to i don't think that i know in other games they held off on emperor palpatine or held off on one character to like have the shock of having them revealed i think we're past that as a society at this point holding off a character just for shock value isn't that exciting anymore. Uh, I I think maybe like uh, Salacious Crumb is going to be my answer. I don't know. That's fair. I don't know that he'll be... Uh, uh, maybe Jabba. Like, we haven't seen any barge stuff yet. Like, he's kind of a big name, yeah? 
I'm really happy that we all named characters from Tatooine. So <laughs> clearly it's going to be someone from Hoth, right? It's going to be like Wampa or something. I don't know. But um, that was good. Desert planets are important, too. Going to be a Tusken Raider or a, a Tauntaun is going to be. <laughs> is that going to be a... It's going to be a Tauntaun. You can camp a character inside of... It's going to be a ground <laughs> vehicle unit, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good point. It could be like a named vehicle, right? I didn't think about that, but um, I mean, they're not going to leave like the Falcon out, right? But yeah, as long as they get the Falcon, like, like that's that's the only happen. named vehicle that I actually care that much about, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so I think that well, from the original trilogy, to be clear, right? Do you guys have anything before we wrap this up? One, Give us uh, more card previews. We want to see more. Yeah, more. <laughs> um, one thing I'll say before we, we wrap it up is we do have two sets of promo cards coming to the show that we are going to be doing um, giveaways for. One uh, sooner and then another one a little later. Uh, closer to release, I think we'll, we'll um, do that. And we'll got, we got to figure out how we're going to do that, but stay tuned to Space Arena Ground Arena on giveaways for the Gen Con promos <clears throat> if you missed out and missed out on the $50 eBay um, prices. So um, for Dan and Mr. Ben, uh, we'll see you in the arenas. Done. That was our longest one yet, I'm sure. Yeah, that was a long one, dude.